Today on Off Tackle Empire, the Big Ten once again proves its Midwestern credentials as multiple coaches opt to beat traffic instead of staying to the end of their game planning sessions. Pass offense, pass defense. What time do PJ Fleck and Mel Tucker have for that when they can still beat the crowds if they leave the film session now? This week on Off Tackle Empire. Your source for Big Ten talk, it's Off Tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, where it is Big Ten season once again. Um, we have an awful lot to discuss because the Big Ten did some things that were very Big Ten and some things that were not very Big Ten, uh, like having three 200-yard receivers. I'm Steve Braun, a.k.a. Thumpasaurus. I'm with Andrew Kuczewski uh, virtually this time because it's just we're just so far away these days. Yeah, and... It's very fitting that Michigan State chose to kind of bring an end to its its daydream vacation of a season as daylight savings time descends upon the Midwest. And we're sitting here recording at what I assume is one in the morning based on how long it's been pitch black outside. Well, of course, you know, we also had to do virtual because I, I had to pry myself away from the various various Packers, you know, forums and game threads. Uh you know, just really hoping that like the injured players on defense aren't getting medical advice from Joe Rogan, who will <laughs> one day be the Surgeon General of the United States. Just so you're aware, it's going to be weird. But it, you know, if that's what it takes to get psilocybin legalized, I guess that's what it takes. It to, as as Mel Tucker would say, it takes what it takes. Apparently, it doesn't take playing past defense at all. But we'll get to that. I don't want to. Get ahead, but unless we bury the lead, gonna, that's obviously the big storyline in the conference this week. And I'm going to crack open a win fight try Brewster of the week, which is from Akron, Ohio's Hoppin' Frog Brewery, Pineapple Upside Down Cake. Now, I might have used this one already. I don't know, but it's delicious and it was in my fridge. So I had to. Some stuff got turned on its head. Again, three 200-yard receivers in Big Ten conference play. That's preposterous. And also, like, Really tasty, but only if you're into a certain type of thing. That's a pineapple upside down cake. I don't understand people that don't like pineapple on everything. We are we are absolutely not bringing the pizza debate into this. This is a family forum, and I will not have the heathens that get involved in those discussions coming coming to our public square and slap fighting about whether pineapple belongs on pizza. Who cares? If you don't want it, you don't have to eat it. And if you do, go ahead and put it on. But maybe we don't order it for everybody. It seems easy enough. Anyway. The silly thing about all the passing was that in a lot of cases, it didn't really lead to that many points. Yes and no. And we'll jump right in with the first game in which one of those happened. Really sort of the one that that particular stat line flew under the wire because all I really saw in reference to this game was, oh, man, Ohio State struggled with a bad Nebraska team. Oh, man, Ohio State probably not looking worthy of a playoff spot. Didn't we say going into this game that there was no way this ended other than 
Nebraska playing well enough to give their fans hope and then just loosing the football away again. Nebraska has seven losses on the season. Now this is the first one that was by more than a single score. And it was also it was, by the smallest amount that you can lose by multiple scores. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even that took a late, a couple of late field goals from Ohio state. Did we, or did we not tell you to hammer Nebraska as a 15 point dog? That was free money. It, yeah. Cause Nebraska, there was no way, like I get that. There is some truth to the the um, the Parcells saying that at some point you are what your record says you are, but also numbers and science are a liar sometimes. Nebraska's a better team than a seven-loss team at this point in the season. Nebraska's almost certainly going to move up in the SP Plus rankings when they come out. Uh, oh, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, they're going to be play- they're, they're going to be a, a, a top 25 team, and they're three and seven. And they're one and six in conference. Of course, let's not remind you, I've seen this before. I mean, I didn't experience it directly, but the best Illinois team in in the history of, of his historical SP plus stuff was actually 1994, which was a team that went five and six. Yep, that was better than the 2001 Big Ten champs, better than 1989 10-win team. 1994 was the best, and they're mostly known for having national title winner Penn State dead to rights down 21 nothing at home and blowing it. So this kind of thing's happened before. Uh, apparently, Nebraska is becoming '90s Illinois, yeah, uh, yeah, it, and unfortunately, it, it, that ends four years later with an 0 11 season. Three years <laughs> later, so so their rewind to the '90s does not end with what happened for Nebraska after 1994, is what you're saying. Yeah. So, sort of a, a storyline that I don't think has gotten the sort of airtime it's deserved outside of the Ohio State sphere is that Garrett Wilson was a surprise scratch. I don't remember there being anything from last week about him being injured. After the game, Ryan Day indicated that he was day-to-day and they thought maybe he would be able to play this week. So that does say injury to me instead of some surprise disciplinary issue or legal problem or whatever. And they were cautious earlier in the season with C.J. Stroud. I think understanding that at least at the offensive skill positions, they've got the guys to weather that storm perfectly well. Because again, you know, Garrett Wilson, who's probably going to be a first round draft pick, is unexpectedly unable to play. Oh, okay, just here, um, grab rummage around in the receiver room and grab grab this guy. He'll set the single game record for receptions for Ohio State. Which, by the way, if you're setting any kind of school record at Ohio State, you've done something incredible. And so, yeah, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think at this point, becomes one of the many football players with the hyphenated last names where now you call them by their initials. Um, Because, yeah, I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba, it's a lot. It's enough syllables that I feel good about just throwing JSN out there and assuming most people will either know what I'm talking about or be uneducated enough that I'm not bothered if I'm leaving them behind. Yeah, but then you can just call him Jason. Now, the amazing thing about Nebraska in this game is that they actually won the turnover battle. It was at least refreshing to see Nebraska lose a game kind of normally, like they were just slightly the worst team. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's, you know, if you want, you can point to some moments in the fourth quarter where, oh, they're driving and they, they don't pick up a fourth down conversion or whatever. But as you said, that's kind of how teams routinely lose games. And yeah, that's... I, this is not going to be a breath of fresh air to Nebraska fans when they've lost seven out of the 10 games they've played. And now they have to sit there and stare into these last two games coming up with this late season bye week. Speaking of what, well, now we'll, we'll leave that for the preview section, but 
anyway, so as you said, yeah, it's got it's got to be a little <laughs> bit of a relief mentally just to be like, all right, well, we we didn't deserve to win this one at least. Yeah, they didn't piss this one away. Now, did they have a chance to win this game? Probably, but at the end of the day, the way that Ohio State won this one was not necessarily by capitalizing on some really stupid Nebraska things. It was by outgaining them, getting 25 first downs to their 18, um, and, of course, stopping them in key, key spots and uh, keeping them out of the end zone as they continued to pile up yards. Yeah, when, you know, Nebraska did have kicking game troubles once again, I believe. Did they miss two field goals in this game, or am I thinking of something else? Uh, let me check that box score. Um, yep, they did, in fact, miss two field goals in this game. And Noah Ruggles, who just has the cutest name, uh, was perfect going four for four. Is Yeah, is automatic. And... I guess if you if you want to look at takeaways for this for Ohio State, it's that really they're for as good as their offensive line is on paper, their between the tackles running game is pretty inconsistent. Even with a couple of bowling balls like Henderson and Mayan Williams, they a lot you know they get a lot, about as many yards in some games from those guys as receivers as they do running them between the tackles. Um, that could be a little bit of an issue. They have teams coming up that can play good run defense. But again, that being said, I don't know why. I mean, against Purdue, yeah, you go ahead and run the ball. But given what Michigan and Michigan State have shown with their past defenses, that less Michigan to a lesser extent, but certainly against Michigan State, I don't know why you would run the ball at all. I you you should throw 90% of your snaps against them. Um, they they, they held they held Travion Anderson in check which nobody's been able to do. They held the Buckeyes to around 100 yards when you're talking about sack-adjusted rushing yeah. yards and yeah. on on like 25, 26 attempts. Yeah, so I mean, it's and that that's consistent with what we've seen all along, which is that Nebraska has a defense that's going to be criminally underrated nationally because they don't get the results. And occasionally the point totals end up looking such that you, you wouldn't think looking at that Iowa is a really good defense they end up giving up points because their offense and their special teams put so much pressure on them that sooner or later, yes, some cracks are going to form. There's no such thing as a college defense that's immune to that kind of thing. They have a second bye week before playing at Wisconsin and then at home against Iowa, two yeah. teams that are, that are again, like we've said, sort of parallel universe versions of each other. Um, and, you know, uh, again, I don't see any reason why those two games are going to be any different with the exception that, they've proven that they, in the past, they've been able to play Iowa to about three points usually. So I expect that game to actually break the Illinois Penn state overtime record. Well, what, what they've proven is they can consistently play Iowa to a three point defeat on Nebraska's part as well. So um, boy. Yeah. It'll depend of course on whether at that point, Iowa's already got their four losses or if they're sitting on three. If Iowa's at eight and three going into that game, bet the house on the Nebraska money line. Yep. I mean, yeah, because I Iowa's got to lose two of their last three now that they've won a game. Yeah. Gotta happen. Gotta happen. So let's move on to happier days here. Um, for the second time in what a three-week span, Illinois pulls off a substantial upset over a ranked opponent, both on the road. Correct. The Penn State game was also yep. happy valley. Yep. Yes, it was. And boy, I, 
it was just it, it was just it's like it's this there's this thing with pj flack where every time you and i begrudgingly get to the point where it's like all right we'll give the guy some credit his program is fine then he just he just leaves a turd on the carpet like this yeah this one was uh really quite incredible i mean the, the, the main reason this happened was because the offense scored 14 points by doing some really nifty stuff in their first two drives after getting an interception. And then uh, as the offense decided, no thanks, we'll just go three and out for the rest of the game. The Minnesota offense just couldn't do anything. They, yeah, man. And they ran know. the ball so much, they... I mean, Tanner Morgan did melt down a little bit in this game, but uh, the the biggest, I think, indictment of the way P.J. Fleck handled this game or, or P.J. Fleck and, and the, the offense handled this game was their touchdown drive when they finally did score. It took damn near seven minutes off the clock. I mean, they, they just kept. Yeah. And that was the, when the they clock were down just kept rolling. scores and it's the fourth quarter. And it's this again, this is the kind of thing that we're talking about when we say of teams like Michigan, like Wisconsin, it's like, you know, earlier in the season against weaker opponents, like you might be able to win playing a one dimensional offense, super conservative ball control, minimize mistakes, but you're, you're drop, you're putting in a drop ceiling on your, on your long-term prospects here, because when you have to open things up or when the game calls for that to happen, you're not going to be comfortable with it. And even if you have some success like Michigan did against Michigan state, they still ended up losing the game in part because later on McNamara was clearly not as comfortable and missed a few throws that I have to assume he's able to make if he has more in-game practice with that kind of thing. It's the same thing with Tanner Morgan, despite the guy having all kinds of experience. And two years ago, he showed you he could run a balanced offense that throws downfield. And I'm not saying Minnesota's receivers now are as good as Bateman and Johnson were, but these guys, I mean, you see that they're capable of making plays. And if you gave them the same kind of opportunities and game reps for guys like Daniel Jackson, Dalen Wright, um, Mike Stevens, Brown, the, the guy who's now showing up occasionally and Altman Bell, I think was hurt again at some point in this game. Yeah. He even did. without him, they've got guys who look capable of making the plays and to your point, on the last couple drives, Illinois opens the umbrella of trying to protect the lead late. They know Minnesota's got to throw, and Minnesota still hits some plays downfield. So imagine if they did that out of a normal game script, calling more play action on first down and that kind of thing. Like the stuff that should be there for them just isn't. I think largely because they chose not to work on it when they had the opportunities to. Yeah. Blake Hayes, who had been unimpressive all day, hit an absolute sniper shot to pin oh, them at the one and Tanner Morgan yeah. immediately threw it 40 yards over the middle. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it felt as though he had landed a shot right between the eyes and then the guy just got up and it, like, it didn't matter or something. It's like, are you lagging? Who's lagging? So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Essentially. So, I mean, just, yeah, man. The, the Minnesota I mean, was not able to establish the run. They, they really struggled to control the, uh, the the trenches in this game. And I think a lot of credit has to go to Ryan Walters and the Illinois defense who were once again, changing all kinds of kinds of things up. Um, 
Isaiah Gay absolutely humiliated his his man for a sack of uh, Morgan very late in a key situation, which unfortunately then the clock stopped because Gay hurt himself. But uh, they've been getting a lot of pressure just bringing four by doing twists and stunts up front that's been uh, really disrupting the pass game because that's the thing. When they went to the pass game, they were getting pressure on Morgan consistently. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you know, there was a lot. Minnesota was in a in kind of a really tough spot because there was just a lot of the stuff that that they couldn't. When your bread and butter's not working, then a lot of times they, you know, the the other team is going to know that you have to pass in this situation, and they can pin their ear back ears back and just get after you. Yeah, and well, when you know another guy, I don't know. Again, I don't know anything about anybody's eligibility situation anymore, um, but. I think somebody who made himself a lot of money in this game as well was Owen Carney. Uh, I watched some of this game before I was flipping around with the noon slate and yeah, I, he impressed me greatly. Even on Owen Carney with. was a guy who was in the transfer portal and Brett Bielema convinced him to stay. And that was, I believe the first guy that, that Bielema won over. Uh, there were a lot of guys that were going to leave. That is looking pretty big. Kirby Joseph also has, come kind of wow. out of nowhere to be a force this season was he in the portal as well because yeah i mean that's i don't cool. think he was okay but uh but i mean but he's kind of he kind of just came out of nowhere he didn't i certainly didn't see his ascension coming he's got four picks on the year and i think three recovered fumbles uh illinois yeah. just basically they birded him again they won the turnover battle uh this time and they ran the ball just well enough. Chase Brown had 32 carries for 147 yards and got the tough yards at the end. I'm not sure what it is with Brandon Peters. I don't know if something lit a fire under his ass after the Penn State game or if it's just that he grew his shitty little mustache and now he he has a lot more confidence. But <laughs> he's been uh, he's been much more willing to run the ball the oh, last on, two Steve. weeks. Don't you, don't you remember when you were first going through puberty and you got your first little peach fuzz and it was like, yeah, I'm cool now. Yeah. No, I rocked a, I rocked a goatee in, when I was in high school. Oh, geez. Uh, well, so. Just the bottom part. Oh, no. Oh, dear. Well, you got to uh, keep in mind it was the mid-2000s. This sort of thing was socially acceptable. Yeah. Fred Durst was a terrible example for all of us. <laughs> um, okay, so. So, yeah, it was a, it was a great. I'm uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, it, was a, it, was a, it was a very, very burnt thing that happened because you had the starting quarterback throw fewer than 10 passes right yeah he called 48 48 runs and 10 passes for illinois and obviously neither team wanted very much to happen there was there were only a total of 122 plays run in this game and again that like we're gonna have more iterations of this because as we brought up a couple of weeks ago there are fully eight coaches in this conference who do not want the game to be longer than two hours now they're not gonna get their way because the TV broadcast determines how long these games are. And it was, again, once again, a terrible week on that front, but we'll get into that when we get into it. And of course, the very best part, which had slipped my mind until, was it Stu Monkey who brought it up or was it actually one of our Minnesota guys? But this was the first game after the Minnesota Golden Gophers locked up PJ Fleck to a contract extension through 2028. Get used to this shit. So oh, he, he, so yeah, it, it was in fact, Stu, because we were talking about how PJ Fleck has been cribbing things from all the other big 10 teams, taking his influence, <laughs> taking these influences and combining into it. And he pointed out that Fleck 
had done a tribute to Kirk Ferentz, Iowa, this time by losing his first game after the contract extension. Oh, brother. It, you know, the only thing I'm going to get, the only thing I'm going to say, the only thing I'm going to give him is that there was a point earlier this season where I was going to bring this very topic up in another context, and that was Jimbo Fisher, because he got a contract extension, extension shortly after the season started. They had a rough couple of weeks. I think they lost one game and really struggled in another and then he went out and bagged Alabama. So we can say this now. And by yes, we're going to go ahead and get our chortles in. But it is, you know, that did pay off in another situation. And Miss Minnesota does still have Wisconsin coming down the pipe in what I have to look at the standings, but what could still be a functional Big Ten West title game, depending on what happens before then. So, yeah, earlier in the season, you had, um, you know, you had a loss for Illinois at home to a, to what's turned out to be a very good UTSA team. Um, and then you had two losses where Illinois had the lead late and uh, Brett Bielema made a deci- made decisions that certainly looked terrible in hindsight. And, and I was very upset because, you know, you just have, it's like such a small margin for error when you're trying to get a historic doormat off the ground. And it's, just like now you've got bad vibes going to that coach and it didn't need to be this way. And I didn't think much of the offensive game planning uh, and it didn't seem like that was really adjusting. And since that bye week uh, that they had in mid-October and they retooled a lot of things on the offense, because they used the barge package some more in this one. Uh, it's And the, the scripted stuff has been better the last two weeks as well. It's It's really... I think everybody on this staff has, uh, you know, has really gotten their way back into the good graces of Illinois fans. Of course, there's a lot of nitpicking of Tony Peterson being in a shell late, uh, but man, I mean, well, sure. But the, the, the natural counter question to that is, well, how many times do you want him to call passes for Brandon Peters, given what he's seen from this offense and from that quarterback. And even when Sikowski was healthy, like again, like, the way that they won that Penn State game, as you, as we pointed out at the time, was by making sure that Art Sikowski couldn't stop the game from getting to overtime by taking the ball out of his hands with a chance to win it late. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know what more you can ask from Brett Bielema in year one than two ranked wins on the road and making Minnesota fans boo P.J. Fleck in the fourth quarter of a home game. And, you know, look, I know you don't want to say it because you are afraid of what will happen and you should be given the history, but... Minnesota, or I'm sorry, Illinois, four and six, two games left. I'll tell you what, though. Quick lane pulls down another question. Of the three final games that Illinois has, the one I thought we'd win, the the one I least thought we'd win was actually this one because Minnesota actually has an offense. And I mean, they they did. And Um, tremendous job by Ryan Walters in this defense to shut them down. Um, you do 80% of that game playing next week against, well, two weeks from now against Iowa. You've got a very real chance of winning that game too. Well, Brett Bielema in his career is 14 and two after a bye. That's a promising sign, man. Look, everything's coming up, Bert. So. And meanwhile, this does kind of complicate the big 10 West standings, doesn't it? Well, Yeah. A lot of scenarios are still in play, but we'll we'll kind of get to that. I th- again, there's there's enough iterations there that I don't really want to get into each possibility. 
but instead to continue with another result, which is that this is all well and good, but there's a little bit of a Big Ten East feel to the Big Ten West, where now it's like, yeah, that's all well and good, but Wisconsin's going to win it. Um, they went out and dropped a 52-burger on Rutgers, who managed a sad field goal themselves. Can you have a sad field goal in the first quarter? I think that's a philosophical <laughs> question. It's time, it's time for us to answer that. I mean, if anything, for the first quarter, it's, it's a time when if you're getting blown out in the first quarter, God, you just won. To... Well, they they weren't. I don't even. They might have scored first, but at the end of the first quarter, it was seven three, I believe. Oh, okay. Well, that's not technically a sad field goal. It's a field goal that wasn't sad at the time. A sad field goal is a field goal that's sad when you line up to kick it. Hmm. Okay. So that's got. It, uh, we need a different construct then for a field goal that, in hindsight, it's like, oh, why did you kick that? You had to know that you weren't going to win the game playing that way. But sure, at the time, you can justify it based on the situation on the field. We'll have to workshop that a little bit and see what we can come up with. So, look, the Badgers steamroller might be back in operation here, and they're now alone atop the West because of their head-to-head win over Purdue. Their defense is now setting them, them up to score points with short fields. But unlike Iowa's, it actually feels like complementary pressure in all phases football now that the run game is back on its feet instead of the defense just dragging the offense along against its will. I just like the extent to which you don't even have to pretend to throw the wall ball to win in the big 10. And especially in the big 10 West is just astounding to me. So Wisconsin ran 70 plays in this game and 51 of them were rushing attempts. And I'm just like, is there a point where teams that are doing this, look at what it takes to win the big games, the conference titles, near six games, that kind of thing, and decide that they want to gamble a bit and actually develop a more complete passing game. Or if you're a program like Wisconsin, especially given the way the season started and kind of the dud that you had last year, even with the COVID circumstances, that you say, no, we'll just take whatever we can get doing this and playing it safe and not risking anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just kind of a thing where Wisconsin um, – in this situation knows they've got the, the, the horses to overpower a Rutgers. And it's kind of like, it's a very climate change approach, isn't it? Well, look, we'll deal with that when it happens to me directly. Right. (laughs) The Senator says, as he's ordering his house built on detachable floating rafts, that could be three (laughs) weeks from now. I'll let three weeks from now me deal with that. And by me, I mean my grandkids because I'll be dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just... Anyway, Grant Mertz has looked a little bit better. Now, granted, this is a very, very favorable game script they've given him. But I, I guess that's really the counterpoint to what I've raised here, isn't it? In the case of somebody like Wisconsin, they went out and they got a quarterback who on paper should have been able to boost the level of this passing game. And then they tried to let him loose and it just didn't work. And... I really still think that part of that is because they failed to put difference-making weapons around him on the perimeter. And so then they, they go back. And, and it's true that also their offensive line was not its usual self early this season. They seem to have worked things out there. They've got the running back combo that took them a while to land on, but their things are better there. I still just feel like there's got – like if Wisconsin wants to push their ceiling, and maybe, again, in the context of this year – Maybe just getting back to Indianapolis, taking your beating from the Buckeyes, and trying to put together a better group of weapons next year. Maybe that's good enough. And um, man, Wisconsin just 
I think they're going to finish strong. And I never thought they were as bad as, as everybody was, you know, they were dead and buried with three losses to what, you know, to extremely talented teams, but boy, that Penn state loss looks pretty, pretty weird in hindsight. Well, that particular one, they gotta be just, they gotta be thinking about still. Well, yes, but in part because one Mertz had a terrible game, multiple turnovers, we also got to remember Penn state is a different team when Sean Clifford was fully healthy. Absolutely. And he was, that was the first game of the season. Clifford was definitely healthy. Then I don't know if we're going to see hundred percent Sean Clifford again this year. Cause it, I'm still not exactly clear, but it's like a rib or shoulder, like like that sort of area where, you know, every time you breathe, it hurts. So especially with him continuing to play through it, they can 3d print all the cool custom, you know, um, dragon bone flak vests that they want for him, <laughs> but legendary, yeah. But he's he's still gonna be taking some pretty bad hits because the offensive line has not been what I thought it would be, honestly. So, yeah, I the Penn State game, the Penn State loss doesn't age well because Penn State has not held up their end of the bargain in the record column, but but even immediately after the game. We yeah, said, wow, <laughs> even at the time of the game, we said, wow, Wisconsin really should have won this game. They absolutely pissed this away. Yeah, well, they did. And that was <laughs> not really the case the following week against Notre Dame because the margin ended up being so radical. But even when we talked about that game, it was like, you know, they're a meltdown in the fourth quarter. They were winning in the third quarter. So, yeah. yeah I, live, again, Wisconsin this year seems to be Illinois, but better. Where it's like, all right, just limit what the quarterback can do to hurt us. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And they got again, they got some big plays from Mertz in the passing game. Lean too. on the lean on the defense. Don't let our quarterback bury us. Yeah, and that's but with a bit of a higher ceiling because I think their offense is is so, is considerably better than Illinois' run yes, game, absolutely. and their defense is considerably better than Illinois. So yeah, not not a bad analogy there. So on the, the other, other side, side of this game. Yep, Rutgers. Their offense They're, has cleared 20 yeah. points two times this season. And that would be against a bad Temple team and FCS Delaware. That uh, they pulled off a win against Illinois last week, given how well the Illini have been handling one-dimensional offenses, is actually pretty surprising. Yeah, it. I'm, I'm more upset about that loss now than I was at the time. Um, it's a bit understandable if maybe Illinois, you know, was due to have kind of a, a a lackluster performance because the fact of the matter is they just didn't bring it on both sides of the line. They came out with a hell of a lot more intensity at, at Minnesota. I didn't have, you know, Rutgers just outworked them. Yeah, so well, credit I'm to sure Greg Schiano. The emotional, the emotional capital spent on a nine overtime win on the road against the ranked team has to be considerable. Um, Illinois is a very important win for them. Yeah, always important to remember that these guys are not machines. I'm, I'm referring more to the Illinois aspect of that. But um, yeah, in, in Rutgers' case, that is a very important win because notwithstanding the fact that it feels like it's been forever since they actually played a good game, even though they got the win against Illinois, they do find themselves at four and five. And they have games left on the schedule at a very wounded, essentially broken Indiana team. And they end the season at home against Maryland. Now there, in between there, there's a trip to Penn State that will likely be a pretty severe beating. But they've got two very winnable games left to get to bowl eligibility, which would be a big step forward in the Shiano development program. Which again, 
they've totally faded into the background because of what Mel Tucker is doing at Michigan State, notwithstanding this week's results and other storylines in the conference. Again, when we get to the college playoff, you know, poll time of the year, all these other stories fall away. Nobody gives a crap. Nobody. Well, and ultimately, nobody is going to pay any attention to any other recent coaching hires when somebody else in the same division hit the biggest home run since Urban Meyer. Maybe bigger. Yeah, we'll see. It, <laughs> there's again, we'll m- more discussion about that in just a bit. But so I guess as to get to that, we'll have to keep cycling through here. Here, so a game that I did not see a single moment of because of the timing overlap. Penn State 31, Maryland 14. Jahan Dotson had a colossal day that's going to go completely overlooked because Penn State, with the three losses, has now fallen out of the conference race, out of the playoff picture, out of the rankings. It's, it's they're only going to be relevant insofar as they still play Michigan and Michigan State. But man, a line of 11, 242 3 is an insane day, even against a pretty flimsy defense like Maryland's. This game was actually pretty close throughout. It was a pretty even game until Jahan Dotson went 86 yards and scored a touchdown to break it open at 21-14. Um, and then, of course, from there, Maryland just wasn't able to answer. But it was 14-all in the fourth quarter, and then Penn State just uh, – I mean – Look, I've been there. It certainly wasn't as bad as the time that they scored like 42 points in the fourth quarter against us when we had a lead. But uh, <laughs> that that is a thing that can happen when this offense gets gets rolling. They went Maryland went three and out in response to or no, I'm looking at this drive chart backwards. Um, oh well, yeah, they they still did go three and out in response to the to the Dodson touchdown, and then they threw a long pick six. Yeah, and that'll really happen when you you it's late in the game, you feel momentum slipping away, you feel your chance to win slipping away, and so you press a little bit. That will happen. Uh, but I, like I said, I wish I had more to say about this game because based on what you're saying, and again, I, that matches my recollection of skimming through the box score and the play-by-play that this was a competitive game, but having not seen it, I don't have much else to say, unfortunately. If, if not for that pick six, what we had was a game – where there were, let me do some math real quick. That's uh, 104 pass attempts, and it was 24-14 before the pick six. <laughs> Man, yeah. Because, and I've said this repeatedly, because it really hasn't changed that much, but Mike Loxley is a wizard at turning huge numbers of passing yards into very small numbers of points. <laughs> this is still not as bad as Juice Williams passing for 462 against against Tim Brewster and putting up 20 points. I, hey, man, it, if you can find a line on Tungo Law for passing yards, he's not getting fewer than 400 next week if, he, if he's healthy the whole game, uh, which is a nice transition point here to Michigan State 29, Purdue 40. And although I, I predicted MSU would win this game, there, there, were, there have been some warning signs that have been blaring for weeks. And they were drowned out in the midst of last week's euphoria, but Michigan State has been powerless to stop any mediocre or better passing game all season. That was the biggest issue in this game for Michigan State was that they, I think, having evaluated their personnel, they decided, look, we don't have the types of guys on the outside to play tight coverage. So we're going to give huge cushions on the, on the short and intermediate routes, going to try to take away everything deep. And basically dare opponents to march length of the field. 
But the problem is, even in college football, there are opponents who can do that. Aiden O'Connell piloting a Jeff Brom offense is perfectly capable of going 40 for 54. Uh, there's, there are other co- quarterbacks they're going to see who can do that. And I have to admit that over the course of the season, I watched them give up one huge passing line after another. And I'm like, there's going to come a point where something clicks or they, they have some plan they're developing for these better passing offenses to see down the stretch. And they're going to have something else in the bag. They just didn't. Uh, a well-coached passing offense was always going to roast this defense. Now, really the problem they had here, part of the reason Purdue got to 40 is that Michigan state made a lot other mistakes aside from just being bad at pass defense. I want to single out one instance in particular shortly before halftime, probably like five or six minutes left in the second quarter. Um, Michigan state's punting and Behringer boots up perfect. It was a Blake Hayes snipe shot. He drops it at, at like the two yard line, but there's a procedural penalty on the play. One of the gunners comes running in towards the formation. You can't do that. That's a five-yard penalty. And Brom is able to make them re-kick it. And then on the re-kick, Purdue calls a really exotic, actually a really cool sort of pass run, uh, sort of punt block attempt. They line, they have a bunch of guys all flood over towards one side of the formation, and then they all back out and flood towards the other. The punt, the punt team from Michigan State clearly has no idea what's going on. But Tucker does not take a timeout. Clock's running down. Snap goes off. Behringer very nearly gets it blocked. He has to kick a line drive that goes straight to the second gunner or the second returner Purdue has. And Purdue gets the ball at midfield instead of at the two. Now, given the way Purdue moved the ball all game, maybe that doesn't make a difference. Maybe that would just be another 48 yards that O'Connell would have. But they scored. They went up two touchdowns at that point. Michigan State got that touchdown back before halftime. But if they made Purdue go a few more first downs, maybe that is a drive that you're able to stop. And maybe you go into halftime a tie game instead of down a touchdown and kicking the ball back to Purdue. Because again, Purdue scored immediately after the half as well. So that was the kind of thing that Michigan State had going all day. And yes, as always, a number of the calls were absolute horseshit. For example, a chop block that ended up forcing a field goal attempt by uh, the backup kicker. Cause I guess Matt Coughlin's hurt again. That's being a fan of a modern college football team. You're never going to know who's playing or not because we, we had a feeling Jalen Naylor is not going to go when he comes out late in the mission game with his hand in a cast, but I didn't know Coughlin was hurt. I didn't know Jarrett Horst left tackle was hurt. And those guys just oh, surprised. They're not playing your best offensive lineman. Your only place kicker who's ever done it. Yeah. Not that any of that stuff mattered. Right. But um, geez, so, a lot so of you know you're in, basically you know you're in trouble when an opponent that can't run the ball and is just like a, a a you know a pass first team and they had no success running the ball but they had 35 minutes time of possession. Yeah, well, because it, people always get the impression that passing teams necessarily lose time of possession, but you can still take time between snaps. And Purdue attempted enough runs to keep the clock moving and shorten the number of attempts Michigan State would have with the ball. Again, MSU had a continuing theme of the season of a lot of three and outs. They're very much a feast or famine offense. So to talk about this from the Purdue side here, they did their usual thing in spring the upset. Bell was the star, but they spread it. I mean, they had Garrett Miller, who made a lot of plays at the tight end spot with Payne Durham not playing. Milton Wright had a number of important catches. O'Connell was fantastic. They sequenced their plays so well. 
what was the what was the incredibly ridiculous description of the play on which they scored? Um, I think when they went up twenty one seven. I couldn't tell you because I missed huge portions of this game for different reasons. But, oh yeah, lest I forget. So <laughs> thanks to the frequent commercials and also the fact that the game ended up in the fifties. Uh, I think I came into this game with about six minutes left in the first quarter, right after Michigan State scored to tie it at seven. So, I, you know, again, not that I missed anything important. Thanks for keeping, you know, I just, if, if the broadcast networks are going to drag out every broadcast to four hours, I at least wish they would give me the interactive option to be like, hey, you want to keep watching this ACC game you don't give a shit about? Or do you want to watch the game you're actually tuning in to see? That's very doable. They just won't do it because it would cost a couple dollars and they don't care. Um, it was the double reverse flea flicker screen. That oh, was that, a 40-yard touchdown. Yeah. Which Jeff Brown says he got from a high school team's YouTube. Hey, look, <laughs> it was a fun play to watch. There were a lot of flags that could have been thrown. They had an eligible guy downfield. They held about three different guys. Jalen Hunt was held by two different players as the play developed. Um but it's also the kind of thing where I understand being a ref in that situation and you see something like that happening. You're like, I'm not throwing a flag on this. This is cool as hell. Uh, so yeah. to, to, your again, point, to your point with the Michigan state pass defense to switch yeah. gears a little bit. Um, we've been saying, you know, Michigan had been holding back this passing game. Can they pass? Can they push the ball downfield? And they had success doing that against Michigan state. So the takeaway was, Oh, well, yeah, maybe, maybe they kind of can. And so far, oh, yeah, outside I, would go, of that Michigan I would go back state, on that. I'll yeah. go back on that conclusion in a hurry and, and then show me that you can throw the ball against somebody else. Cause they didn't, they didn't do any, well, you know what? That's a good point for a segue. Let's we're going to hop over Iowa Northwestern for the moment and go to Indiana, Michigan. Um, now look, I understand that in a game like, and this is an easy Michigan win 29 to seven at home. I understand that after a deflating loss, like Michigan state, you want to kind of get back in the saddle, reestablish your identity, get you guys confident again. And so Michigan goes straight back to their game script from earlier in the season. They let their starting quarterback throw it a total of 18 times. They give even more snaps to JJ McCarthy. And I like, I am watching, I'm like tuning in and out of that game. And I'm like, they didn't learn anything. They didn't learn anything. They had decent success throwing the ball, but now given what you've seen your opponent do this week and also the entire rest of the season, does that actually mean anything? Can your opponent throw, can your quarterback throw the ball against an actual good pass defense, which I think Indiana still is, even with all all the injuries they've had. I just like, it it feels like Michigan's hoping they can back into the Rose Bowl if they end up with the same record as MSU, because by not working on the pass game, it feels like they're waving the flag against the Buckeyes. It really does. Yeah, uh, that that's the problem. I mean, because that's that becomes, you know, that becomes their season now, right? Obviously, you got to beat Penn State, which is not necessarily a, a, a given. But Michigan's been stout enough against the past that I would still favor them. Probably so. I think it'll depend. Do we do we have the announcement? I don't think we would on whether that's a night game yet. Don't know. There's a lot of games that don't have times that are two weeks out, and I don't understand it. Hold on one moment. Just now I'm curious. No, it's the noon kick. I'm surprised Penn State let that happen. Big um, nude. Uh, ABC, actually. But anywho, from the Indiana perspective here, 
Uh, so now it kind of becomes a big picture question, right? They lose their seventh game, second Big Ten team that's now officially struck from the list of the bowl eligible and the bowl aspiring. And you can see that Donovan McCauley really, really needed a redshirt year this season, but it's just not in the cards. So the question now is, and that nobody seems to know what the status of either Tuttle or Penix is. Again, college football programs don't tell the truth about injuries anymore. I understand to an extent why you wouldn't want to, but pretend that one of those guys is available. What do you do if you're Tom Allen these last few games? Um, do you do, because I have to assume even that, you know, an 80% Michael Penix or an, a 70 or 80% Dak Tuttle probably gives you a better chance to win going down the stretch than what you've seen from McCauley so far. And Greg, you, you expect McCauley to improve, but this offensive line is bad. They have to figure something out with this line in the offseason. Their list of playmakers right now is basically Stephen Carr, Peyton Hendershot, Ty Freifogel. That's it. You're just putting too much on the shoulders of this freshman, and it, it feels like it could hurt his development if you put him in there with a bad supporting cast, questionable play calling, and he's not ready for it. I could see the benefit in going back to an established starter because the other thing is kind of the low key part of this. Indiana could be looking down the barrel of a, an attrition apocalypse on defense next year. 10 of their starters are seniors. 10. Yeah. That's almost impossible. Like that never happens. And they'll be able to get COVID years on some of those guys if they want to come back. So that's all. These are locker room issues that we have no insight on from the outside at all. But it's going to be interesting to see how they handle these last few games because without a bowl game to play for, you have the rivalry with Purdue. I think if that game was played today, Purdue would probably be about a 10-point favorite on neutral field. I'm not sure where the game is this year. Um, but, man, it's, an inter- it's going to be interesting to see how Indiana handles this. And it's funny because, well, I don't think they were as good as their – runaway dream season last year i don't think they're as bad as this yeah i was gonna basically say the same thing because last year's indiana team i don't really think was like they had they got a lot of breaks you know like they 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 got like what like 150 yards of offense and beat penn state something like that i mean they got all of the plays there went their way i mean which is not to say that they weren't good it was a very good indiana team the year before they'd won eight games and so it was almost like they were due for some regression to the mean but this is way past the mean. Like this yeah, is, they've, yeah, they've got they, a couple <laughs> standard deviations in the other direction now, and it's just like unfortunate. Um, but man, as the Tom Allen era has gone on, it, it's also like they're running out of the Kevin Wilson offensive guys, and you can tell. I guess what um, you want to do is just not extend your coach during I the don't season. Know, man. I, don't do it during the season. I guess not. I, I will tell you, notwithstanding this week's result, if Michigan State is not in some kind of talks with Mel Tucker for an extension right now, that's absolutely negligence on their part. Because, um, you know, you know, his agent's Jimmy Sexton. So, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be expensive to keep him. They, right now, they're theoretically the only team that should be talking to him. So I'd like them to be doing that. Um, speaking of coaches who should never have been extended, Iowa 17, Northwestern 12. Oh dear. Who in this equation am I even talking about? You'll never know, dear listener. Iowa finally made a quarterback change. And from what I understand, this was a thing where 
Petrus was hurt because he was going to try to play through it, but then they saw him. It's like, all right, this isn't working. Um, you're not playing well enough with this injury, so we're going to go to the backup. And Padilla was better, but also obviously constrained by the offense around him. This is still a pretty bad offensive line. He's a new starting quarterback, so he doesn't get all the first team reps. So you saw some, you know, timing issues and things like that that you would normally see. But Padilla was fine, and I think given more of an opportunity, could be an upgrade from Petrus in that position. But it's still an offense that is schematically limited, and without the usual strong offensive line play that they've relied on in the past, their ceiling is even lower than it usually is. This so, is a game that Northwestern could have won uh, had they not turned the ball over three times. That is the only difference in the stat line. They were virtually dead even for yards and first downs yeah. in time of possession. This yeah, was a dead much. even game where Northwestern turned the ball over three times. And uh, that was kind of all she wrote. I mean, and say about, you know, maybe perhaps Iowa going into a shell offensively, but I mean, they always are in a shell offensively. How could they possibly retreat farther into one than their baseline? <laughs> right. And so Northwestern did turn to Andrew Marty themselves finally, but it look, it turns out they still can't throw the ball deep and they still really can't run the ball very well against decent fronts. Evan Hull's end of the game numbers ended up looking good. He had a long reception. Um, they also settled for two field goals of 30 yards or shorter. Is Andrew is, Marty just a relief pitcher? Um, he's like a long relief pitcher. He's like the guy, he's the guy, he's, you know, if you, you're probably vaguely aware of the Tigers, he's Tyler Alexander is what he is. Ah. He's perfectly good, but for whatever reason, when they try to put him in a bigger role, it just doesn't seem to go well. Um, <laughs> you know, again, maybe it's a practice thing that we've mentioned before. But the other he was thing tough. Is, he gained he, yards on the ground, but he threw three picks. Yeah, and... <laughs> And Northwestern's defense makes even this vintage of Iowa's offense look capable on the ground. I mean, this was a get-right game for Tyler Goodson, who I thought was going to flirt with all-conference even when Mo Ibrahim was healthy. I mean, think about that, by the way. I mean, in terms of preseason, what we expected from the running backs in this conference, would it have made any sense to have anyone other than Ibrahim and Goodson one, too? I mean, you could maybe say Hassan Haskins if you want, but you knew that he'd be splitting carries. Um I don't think this means Iowa's offense is fixed exactly, but Goodson was once again the best player on the field when Iowa had the ball. That hasn't been the case very much this season. I expected that we would have seen that a couple times by now, but that's a little bit of a promising sign because, again, structurally, this offense just does not desire to push its ceiling much. Yeah, that's that's just what you get being Iowa, and that's why you're taking a roundabout way to get to 8-4. and four. That's kind of all there is to it. I mean, for Northwestern, this season has really gone off the rails and the defense looks a lot worse than we're used to Northwestern defense looking. I mean, they gave up 360 yards to Iowa. My goodness. Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle. Empire.